Stormester skal finde den mindst udulige ah! af de mest udulige. Han magler færdefærdig. <laughs> Sammen to papkasser. Åh oh, nej, Mark. Må jeg ikke ringe til min mor? Stormester. En chance til. Det er ikke på nogen måde behageligt. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tirsdag den 20. december 2016. Velkommen til en lille special edition af podcasten NBA på TV2 Sport. Sidste sommer havde vi nemlig fornemt besøg på kvægtorvet i Odense. I forbindelse med Street Basket-eventet NBA 3X var den tidligere NBA-spiller Robert Ory nemlig i Danmark. Og det blev også til besøg hos TV2 Sport, hvor Thomas Bilde fik en længere snak med profilen. I den her podcast kan du høre hele interviewet med Robert Ory, der i sine 16 NBA-sæsoner var med til at vinde hele syv mesterskaber, hvilket faktisk gør ham til en af de mest vindende spillere i historien. Hans karriere startede hos Houston Rockets, hvor han sammen med Hakim Olajuwon vandt mesterskaber i fire. 95. Efter en halv sæson hos Phoenix Suns skiftede han til Los Angeles Lakers, hvor han sammen med Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal og alle de andre vandt mesterskaber i 2000, 2001 og 2002. Robert Ory sluttede sin karriere hos San Antonio Spurs, hvor det blev endnu to mesterskaber i henholdsvis 2005 og 2007, ved siden af den legendariske træner Greg Popovich og den nu tilbagetrukne Tim Duncan. Men en ting af de mange mesterskaber, Robert Ory havde også en helt unik evne til at ramme afgørende skud, hvilket gav ham tilnavnet Big Shot Bob. Her kan I høre Thomas Bilde snak med den syvdobbelte NBA-mester Robert Ory. First things first. I mean, we got to go through the career, life, being an NBA player. But one thing that's been irritating me, I've Uh-oh. been uh, not, not frustrated, but is it Big Shot Bob or is it Big Shot Rob? You know, um, it all started where uh, Craig Kilborn actually gave me that name. Big Shot Bob, and my mom didn't like the name Bob because that's what they call my dad. She wanted me to have my own identity, so she said Rob, but I actually like Bob. 
to be honest with you. So I like Big Shot Bob. So, so we've seen it in print, different <laughs> places. It's Bob, it's Rob. Yeah. You don't mind. It's I, both. I, it's both. I don't mind. That way you keep, keep you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, basketball influences. Uh, how did it all start? I mean, you born in Maryland, moved to uh, Alabama, growing up. When, when did basketball become part of your life? You know, it was it was weird because I didn't like basketball growing up because I was so clumsy. I couldn't do it. You know, basketball takes a lot of coordination, but I was a huge baseball fan. And then as I got taller, my brother's like, you really need to play basketball. And I started playing and wasn't good. And so it just was one of those things where the, the, I didn't like losing at anything. And my mom can tell you that if it's cards, dominoes or what, I don't like losing and getting my butt kicked in basketball. I just wanted to get better, but next thing you know, it just all started coming together. So it, I had to credit my brother and a lot of the people I grew up in Andalusia, Alabama for having the success and being where I am today. But the guys who saw you, the fans who saw you early on, maybe some of the players, yeah. they saw a skinny kid. I <laughs> did they? <laughs> they, they saw a, yeah. a lengthy kid. What, what, was your, uh, what was your strength in uh, playing against your brothers, playing against uh, kids in Alabama? You, think about that. When you're so tall, people automatically say you should be on the inside. But I was so skinny, I was getting beat up on the inside that I had to learn how to shoot from the outside. And, and, and my coach, Richard Robinson, who actually is retiring after 50 years of basketball, was like, if you're a basketball player, you should be able to do it all. You know, don't be defined by one position. And so I learned how to shoot from the outside, post up, you know, do a little bit of everything. And, and, and with that, him, having him push me and my brothers push me and the boys in the neighborhood push me, I developed my outside shot, my inside shot, and became the player that I am today. Before the NBA, you were also pushed at the Crimson Tide at Alabama. Yes. Was that the, the one school you wanted to go to, or was there <laughs> more schools involved? Do you, know, you must know my story, man. It's funny because uh, growing up, I was a huge Bobby Crimmins fan. He was at Georgia Tech, and you know, growing up in Alabama, it's a football state. Mm -hmm. And being in the SEC, going to Alabama, you says, okay, I don't want to go to a football school. I want to go to a place where basketball is respected. And so I said, I want to go to Georgia Tech, but. My mom was like, oh, we can't go to Georgia State, we can go to Alabama. So I ended up going to Alabama, and I guess it's true what they say, mother knows best, and I went to <laughs> Alabama, and it, and it turned out to a great career because, you know, Wimp Sanderson was my coach there. He, he taught me how to become a leader because when I went there, I wasn't really a leader. I was a guy just said, hey, I just want to do my thing and worry about me. But then you had to worry about your family, which is your teammates. And teammates, uh, Spreewell, uh, yeah. I mean, probably name a handful of guys who also <laughs> made it to the NBA. Yeah. But you only made it, and I'm saying only, I know it, uh, it's with respect, but uh, to the Sweet 16. Was yeah. that a disappointment or? You know, it's a huge disappointment because I look back at the crew that we had, man. I played with eight NBA players, you know, not all at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Jason Caffey, who won championship with the Bulls, Roy Rogers, who's a coach now with the Nets, uh, Keith Ashton, who's a coach with the Heat. You know, if you look at the team we had, we had a great team. And in one year where we came and we lost Loyola Marymount, I thought that was our best team. but. If we would have had one of our players named Marcus Webb, whose back was hurt and he couldn't play, I would have loved to go to that next game, which was against the eventual national champions in UNLV, just to see how we matched up against, you know, Grandma Mar, Larry Johnson, Stacey Augman, Ackles, and all that crew. But we had good teams. Did, did you realize at the time that you were that good, that there was a potential oh, eight yeah. uh, NBA players yeah. around? I, think, I thought so because when we beat the number two team in the country, Arizona, and it realized that, hey, this team right here, we a crew. We can, we get forced to be reckoned with because we was long, athletic, and we all could jump out of the gym. So that was my best team, actually, my sophomore year. You got drafted as number 11. Uh, when did you realize NBA was an option? When was that? 
an actual little thing you just start talking about? You know, I, I didn't even think about the NBA growing up. You know, a lot of kids grow with NBA aspirations. They want to go to the NBA. I like, no, I wanted to be a school teacher. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I, but I look, I remember, I remember distinctly. It was my sophomore year after the, the tournament we had, mm -hmm. and we were sitting there. Mike Lange was like, "Look, you ranked as one of the top ten small forwards in the country." And then a light bulb went on. I said, "Oh man, I could be good at this." So I, I can really, make money. yeah, <laughs> I started really focusing on basketball and you know, trying to get better at it. And, and eventually, it all came together for me. Early years uh, in the NBA, some people say you couldn't have gotten into the NBA at a better time. Post Olympics, basketball was on a hype. The '92, Jordan retires. Uh, you go into a great team uh, with the dream. What do you remember, and, and what was your mindset when you got drafted by the, the Rockets? You know, my mindset was like I was mad because I wanted to be on the Olympic team. <laughs> you, know, you know, I never had any goals but to be on the Olympic team. And unfortunately, well, fortunately for the U.S. that they let the pros in, and that was the first dream team. I was so mad because I was determined to make that team because I had got cut early in the Goodwill games. Well, I shouldn't have got cut, you know, but, you know, that's how it goes. And you always get some people get cut that shouldn't get cut. But, you know, my – to play and get drafted by the team you wanted to get drafted by is an amazing, amazing feeling because I got to play alongside my, my idol, Hakeem Olajuwon, and play against one of the guys I admired a lot in Vernon Maxwell because he played in the SEC. And, you know, to play with a guy I respected to the, to the utmost in Otis Thorpe, you know, to be with those three guys was just like a dream come true for me. What were your expectations then? I mean, now you've proven yourself on the college level and you decided mm -hmm. or, or realized that you're going to be an NBA player, making it in there, going to your favorite team, what's the expectations? What's the young mindset like? The thing is you just sit back and relax and, and that was probably one of the reasons I got traded because I just sat back and relaxed and watched these elder statesmen go out and play their game and just try to be that guy to help them along, not in the sense of playing my game and helping the game along as a, as a whole. It was just helping those guys, meaning pass the ball to them, you know, defer to them. And then after I got traded, it's like, you know, man, I got to play my game. I got to do what got me into the NBA. And that was one of the things that, that I had a long conversation with Otis Thorpe. And, and he helped me along. So, man, just play. Because if you get traded, you get traded. That's the nature of the beast. Prior, prior to the Detroit trade, we're going to get back to that. Did you go out buy a new car, big car, mama, new house, everything? <laughs> what, what was it like? Don't, don't look. Don't don't look at me in the bad light. I didn't buy my mom a house until I, I retired. <laughs> you know, the thing about it, my mom didn't want to move. You know, Southern women, and they're like, I'm, I'm happy. I'm in my house. I don't want anything else. I'm happy. And then she, finally she came to me and she said, I want a house. But and the first thing I got was a car. Uh, you have to buy yourself a car. And then because that's what you do, you know. And then I bought myself a house. And those were my first two big purchases. And then you get traded. You bought a house, start thinking, what, what was that, you know, it was, what is it, 24 hours like in Detroit? Man, it was, it was wild because I got traded, fiance was pregnant, um, about to have a little girl, and then I got traded, and it was like, I don't want to go to Detroit because I hate cold weather. And it was just a lot of things just was bombarding me, making me upset. You know, and the thing about it is, you realize coming into the NBA, it's a business. You know, you can't have any feelings, and you can't, you know, wear your feelings on your sleeve, so to say, but... You know, I was really upset that it was a time period where we started the season off 15-0, and 0, one of the best records ever. And then next thing you know, I get traded for not shooting the basketball. <laughs> but you got back, start shooting the basketball, winning a championship. 
Uh, that first one must have been pretty damn special. Uh, it was very special. Yeah, it was special for a lot of reasons because I came back. You know, I came back with a vengeance. I started shooting the basketball. I remember one game, I was shooting it so much that he had to tell me, "Oh, can you please stop shooting?" You know? <laughs> I said, "Well, you see, you, you trade me you for told that me. shooting." Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, to beat the New York Knicks, you know, who everybody considered the mecca of basketball, and to take them to seven games. You know, being down three-two coming back home and winning two games on your home court. It's special. That's, and then you wonder why you fight for home court advantage. And that was a true test of our, our strength as a team and showing why you need a home court advantage to win that championship. On top of that whole thing, I mean, the veterans, Olajuwon, it was, mm -hmm. it was his first championship, Drexler, right. all that stuff. They were partying, I guess. You went straight to the hospital, and my condolences, but you had a, a baby girl oh, yes. at that time. Uh, yes. And all the trouble you went through. How was that dealing? With young guy, lots of money, success, <laughs> championship, yeah. and then a family on the side yeah. who needed all all that attention. Yeah, you know the thing about that. People don't realize the NBA is a family as a whole. If it wasn't for the NBA, I don't know how we could have made it through that because it was a struggle. You know, when you have a sick child in the hospital, the, those bills can pile up. You know, due to the fact that I was with the NBA and you know had the money to pay for those bills. Mm -hmm. We was very fortunate that we had the, the right doctors in place and the care to to have her survive. And, you know, she she lived for 17 years when she was only expected to live, you know, once. So, you know, we was very you know blessed and, and graced by the hands of God that we had her for so long. Yeah. And 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 thinking, going back and and I'm, I'm, I mean, you probably mm -hmm. thought back on every day of her life, but being a player and being away, yeah. but also fighting, you know, to to keep your profession alive. How, how was that? It must have been a struggle. You know, it was a struggle, but you know, it, it's, it, you take the anger of having a sick child and you apply it on the court. You know, you play with a lot of anger, a lot of, you know, and it's also a way to get away. You know, people don't realize when you're on the basketball court, you don't have time to think about all the outside distractions. It's, it's like your, your, your sanctuary. You go there and you just play, you know, practices where time to you know laugh and joke and get away with it for a moment, but in actuality, when you step out of that box, you get back to reality. Do you, do you think it helped you a little bit? It helped me a lot. It? I mean, to be a, maybe a better dad. I know you've been away yeah. a lot with the traveling, but but yeah. also to get that freedom and then come back and be a, a dad. You know, just to being a dad and being you know a, a, a compassionate human being, and I think it helped my my son out more because he learned how to respect everybody regardless of race, color, religion, or, you know, or health status. And I, I think with him, he's a very a loving kid, heartfelt kid. He's always has, like, and I get mad at him sometimes because he'll have something brand new. He'll give it away to somebody. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? But <laughs> it's just, you know, growing up and seeing that, you know, when you have a lot and you're able to give, he's a very giving kid. And so, you know, it, it, it made us, me, my ex-wife, him, it made us all appreciate what we have in life. The struggle, uh, I wouldn't call it a struggle the next season, but you're still, I mean, it's always tough coming back <laughs> and trying to repeat. Not a lot of teams yes. have, have done that, yes. but you did it. How was that second te uh, second uh, season, I mean, the season after the, the first championship? You know, it, it was difficult in the sense because you, you, you came back thinking that, oh, the true measure of a true champion is to repeat. But we come back. We had injury after injury after injury. We didn't have anything going right. The next thing you know, we make a huge trade. We trade one of my best friends, Otis Thorpe, and get Clyde Drexler here. And I was like, oh, crap. You know, what, what's going on here? You know, and, and it's one of those things where you think like, oh, crap, who's next? Because they're trying to revamp this whole team. Because the NBA, some NBA teams are like, they want it now. They don't want to build to it. They just want it now. They want instant gratification. And, and you have to look around sometimes and wonder what's going on. But, you know, 
Everything worked out in the end, so I'm happy about that. Did you get to party on the next uh, <laughs> championship? Oh, yeah. You know, the, the first championship, you know, I, I would tell you earlier how I was sat back and look at the vets. And I remember, you know, I didn't even touch the first trophy uh, in the first championship against the Knicks. But the second, tro second championship, I had the trophy for me the whole time. You know, everybody was like, well, what about Clyde? I said, well, Clyde, I got to win it next year so he can have it, you know, because this is my championship. Because, you know, I just felt like it, that year I worked so hard to get back as an individual. And, that's a, and, you know, I had a great playoff run, you know, and, and it was one of those things where you felt like this is my trophy, even though that's being selfish. But sometimes you have to be a little selfish in a situation like that. Uh, then it was your turn to look <laughs> over your shoulder or get the tap. <laughs> Yeah. Another old guy at the time, or veteran, coming mm. in, Charles Barkley. Mm. You going to Phoenix. Yes. We're not going to touch too much on it, <laughs> but a bad situation, yeah. ending up with the towel and mm. exit. Yeah. What, what happened in Phoenix? You know, it was one of those things where you went to that situation, you didn't want to be there. You know, I didn't want to be there for two reasons. But you can't decide, can you? Can, can, can the players decide? You know, some players can decide, but I didn't have enough... Uh, 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 two rings. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I didn't, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have enough gall to say yeah. something, you know. But you know, the thing is, I felt like it was a new start. It could be a situation where I could bloom as a player, you know, not right, you know, sit behind Clyde and sit behind Dream. I said, okay, it'd be a great situation to bloom as a player. But I get that Danny Ainge was just holding me back and holding Sam back, and it, we weren't happy there. You know, sometimes you, you know, people think because you make lots of money and you play on a sport. And it's fun that you should be happy just because of that. But no, you know, I wasn't happy there because, you know, Mario Elliott is a really good friend of mine. And when I got there, you know, Dan Ainge tells us that the first thing, the first thing he tells us is that he hit Mario in the face with the basketball on purpose. And right then my taste for him just went out the door, you know, and it, it was just a bad situation. And, it, you know, they always think because, like I said, you make a lot of money, you should adapt. And if you're not happy, you're not happy. January, you're out the door, you're going to L.A. Yeah. Uh, happy? Extremely, you know, growing up a Laker fan, extremely. But you're coming in playing with Shaq and Kobe. I mean, you must be thinking <laughs> they're probably going to sit in the first seats of the bus. <laughs> no, you know, no, Kobe was a little rookie. He, nobody knew who he was. You know, it was, you know, Eddie Jones, Nick Van Exel, uh, and Shaq. It was their team. So I was excited. You know, I felt like I'd come in and contribute to the team. You know, they didn't really have a small forward at the time. But, you know, everybody was making this transition to a, 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 a stretch four, you know, something that we started in 95. We know the Rockets winning that championship. So it was like, okay, we can do this new system to stretch four, bring Robert in. And it worked out. But, you know, I think sometimes when you have too many good players, which we did, we had five all-stars, it was just too many cooks in the kitchen. And playing for the Lakers as a franchise, not necessarily just that season, but the hype around the – you talked about the Knicks with mm -hmm. the Mecca – the Lakers got some of that. The Celtics got some of that. The Bulls, of course. But yeah. how was that? Yeah, Showtime. Showtime was crazy. You know, it's so many things you have to deal with being in L.A. You have to deal with, you know, you being celebrities. You know, you. It's when I say celebrities, it's a different type of. You know, most of say basketball players back then. Basketball with basketball players, then you have celebrities. In Were LA, you standing in line at the old pantry? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you, you got ahead of line. <laughs> exactly. L.A. would bring out a whole different creature monster. So, you know, you become a celebrity and a basketball player. And, you know, playing out there in front of people like, you know, Denzel Washington, Jack Nicholas, and these guys, like, really appreciating your craft, it makes you really realize that you do something special on a, on a wide scale. But as a family, as a dad, family back in Houston with the hospital yes. around, the family... How was that then? You know, it was it was difficult because, you know, by that time, you know, my, my son was being born. So, you know, it was like, okay, I, I missed the game, had to go back. 
And if you're sitting there, you watch your son born, you're like, man, do I, what's really important, like getting back to LA and getting back to work or being with your family? So, and my wife looked at me and said, man, we need that money. Get your butt back to work. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, 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 it, it makes you put things in perspective. And, uh, and I, I really hate the fact that they weren't with me the, at times I was in LA because, you know, that's probably one of the things that contributed to my divorce because, you know, you, if you're not together, you kind of grow apart. And, you know, and it wasn't because we wanted to, it was because of my daughter's situation and being near her doctors. And, 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 I, and, and that was one of the reasons why I always felt like I wanted to go back and play for Houston, go back and play, so I could be there for them. Uh, playing alongside Kobe and Shaq, I mean, there must have been a ton of stories, mm -hmm. egos running around. How was it being a, a part, I mean, five all-star players, but winning three championships? You know, the thing about that, people, outside of the Lakers organization, I should say not even Lakers organization, outside our locker room guys, the 15 guys on the locker you know, there's a lot of stories that go floating around, a lot of rumors. And, and, and the, the crazy part is about that, we never saw any egos, we never saw any animosity, we never any fights. And, you know, you have fights on, on teams sometimes because you, you play hard in practice, you're going to have fights. We never had fights. And it, and it was weird to see when people come out in the paper and say, Shaq said this, Kobe said that. But we never saw it. And I always tell people to go back and look at championships. When you look at people when they win championships, you know who they're the closest to on the team because that's the first person they hug. And you look at, you go back and look at the championship, first people to hug was always Shaq and Kobe. You know, other, other people were like all over the place. You go back and look at, you know, me and Sam Cassell were extremely close. That's the first person I hugged when we won the championship. So that, that rumor about the, the rift and all this, I don't know where it came from, but I guess it's a great story. <laughs> 16 seasons, 10 seasons with 55 wins or more. Could you lose? I mean, I know you said you're a <laughs> sore loser early, but yeah. I mean, going into those seasons where you don't get to 55, I mean, it's more common to you to win 55 than it is having less. You know, I mean, it's pretty amazing. You know, for me, I'm always looking like I should always win more than 50 games. I should always make the playoffs and I should never lose in the first round. And then that's the things that you look at because you if you look at your teammates, you always have to be on a team that's going to push each other to the limit. And if you have those guys that don't push each other in practice, that's the team that go home in the, before the playoffs even start because they don't even make the playoffs. And, and you have to have those type of guys that don't mind pushing each other, you know, not just during practice, I mean, after practice, because that's when you get better, because that's when you can really uh, focus on your individual skills. Are you the luckiest or one of the luckiest NBA players ever? Oh, I'm mean, good. <laughs> <laughs> but being drafted by the team you want it to be, yeah. playing along, I might be wrong, but in my book, it's probably 40% of the top 10 players all time that you played with. Yeah. Olajuwon, Shaq, Kobe, and of course, Duncan. Yeah, I've, I've been very, very blessed. I've been, you know, put in the right situation a lot of times fell in the right situation some of the time. So, I, I, you know, I tell people all the time, I say, I play with good people. You know, I play with some Hall of Famers, you know. If you look at, I play with, what, five, six Hall of Famers, you know, and the thing about it is, I said they were good, but I made them great. You know, that's the thing about it. You know, you don't make the product, make the product better because it's always that one little thing that you're missing it. Being in a recipe, you might need that extra little, you know, cayenne pepper, some spice or salt here to make it really pop. And I, that's how I look at myself. I'm the guy who made the team pop. And I might not do a lot of things that show up in the stats. I might not do a lot of things that you see because you're not in the locker room. You're not seeing what I bring to practice. When I was saying bring the locker room, Rock, so stop. you make it pop. You did a lot of things I saw. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I think there's about seven game winners uh, yeah. and two or three in the, in the finals. Uh, That's the pop I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and I'm sure that some of these guys, the Hall of Famers we're talking about, they're going to mention you when they look back on their championships, that mm. some of those shots were big, and that's the, the key. But, uh, but what shot was the biggest one? We start out first thing first, is it Bob, Rob, but the thing, the two <laughs> words before that is big shot. Yeah. And, and uh, which, which shot was the bigger one, was the better one, was the, the, the one you remember the best? You know, the one I remember the most is because the one, nobody will let me forget it. It's the Laker shot, you know, because we were playing our rivals, the Sacramento Kings, and to make that shot at home. You know, we look at a lot of shots I've made, they all been on the road, which I really love the best. Yeah, even the Detroit series, which is my favorite series in 2005 when I was with the Spurs. But everybody remembers that Lakers shot because it was done Are you at still home. sending Rashid gifts? <laughs> He's got to get a Christmas card every year. <laughs> Him and Tayshaun, because people don't realize Tayshaun was this close to blocking that. Yeah, but, you yeah, know, yeah. but it, I, think, I think the shot with the Lakers means the most because it was done at home in front of your, your, your fans. And I always think about that shot. I don't care about anything down here, but that aerial shot that they show from above and the fans just erupting, it gives me goosebumps every time I see it because it's just amazing to be able to do that in a playoff game against a rival in a big series like that. It's, it's just an amazing feeling. I know you have a, a special feeling for Houston and the Rockets, uh, but, but seeing the shot like Damian Lillard hit, uh, I don't know, it was a couple of seasons ago, but in the playoffs yeah. and then, what what may what goes through your mind when you see a kid making a shot so, like <laughs> yeah. that's done your career? The, the thing about that, since I live in Houston, you first think of why didn't y'all switch? You know, you think defensive like what are you doing? You got James Harden, probably the, you know, no offense, but the worst defensive player waiting for him to come out. It's the they ran the simplest play, and I'm like, but you know, when guys make shots, you tip your hat because the guys' skill sets are so good now. You, if you look at the league, it's an amazing how much talent there is. It's, it's been, you know, games winning made every day now, but that's a credit to how great the competition is. You know, you, game winners can only occur if there are two great teams battling it out down to the last But does second. that instantly bring you back to your game winners when you see a game winner today, or is it, <laughs> can you enjoy the moment and just think, oh, good for him? I, you know, I just enjoy the moment and say good for him. You know, some of them are amazing. Like, I think the most amazing one is the one that Kevin Durant made in the corner one time, falling down, no time left. You know, those shots are ones that are amazing. Not when you, you know, you come off a play in wide open, you knock it down, but when you make a play under duress and guys are trying to give you high fives and stuff, those are the ones I like the best. We talked about the superstars, we talked about the championships, and I said you might be lucky. Some would also argue that you're lucky because you played under some great coaching. Mm -hmm. Tom Janovich, yes. uh, Phil Jackson, and uh, of course, uh, uh, Phil Jackson. No, Popovich, Jackson, and Tom Janovich, mm -hmm. those names. Yeah. Uh, different styles, different coaches, different guys, but I mean, super coaches. Yeah. All defensive oriented coaches, and I think that. You know, Rudy understood best. I mean, understood me is he let me be me. He understood that I'm probably one of the smartest players that's going to be on the court. I can figure it out and let me do what I want to do. It took Pop a while to understand that, but you know, and then Phil took him a while to understand. But Rudy, you know, since he drafted me, he saw something in me. He he watched me in the summertime playing. He's like, okay, this guy can do this. He can read the situation, and he understood how when I first got on the team, I wasn't afraid to tell Dream what to do. You know, a lot of guys, when you go into a situation, you have a vet that you be scared to, you know, boss him around. But I wasn't scared. You know, I would boss dream around and, you know, and tell him, this is what's going on. This is what I see. And I think a lot of times coaches don't realize there are players out there that are smart. 
there are players out there who can quarterback this team, not just you know from the bench, but on the court, and just let them be me, uh, let them be them. And, and, and I think Pop finally got it, and Phil got it. So those guys, when they see some uh, players like that, that's gifted enough to understand what's going on at all times, and let them just you know roll with it. You know, but, you gotta appreciate it. But Pop's been bringing in those vets. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them with a lot of success. You, one of them. Mm-hmm. How was that being a vet with Duncan? I mean arguably the best power forward ever and playing along and trying to yeah. get that whole team and with, of course, Parker and yeah. Ginobili also. I had to tell Duncan, I said, listen, I play with a power forward way better than you and Akeem Olajuwon. I said, you're taller than him, so that means he's a power forward too. You can call yourself a power forward. And I, you know, I tried to tell him, that's, this is what I used to do with Dream. This is what you need to do. And it took, you know, Tim looked at me for a while, looked at me like, you're crazy. I already won championships. I actually beat you to win a championship. So, you know, but then again, you, 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 when you break that ice and he understands that, yo, you're just only trying to make him better, and he realized that you do know what you're talking about, you, you develop a great friendship. You know, I just actually talked to him like a couple of days ago, and, and it's, it's good to stay in touch with guys like that and realize that they have a respect for you on and off the court. They picked you up uh, as a free agent. Mm-hmm. They wanted to bring in Kyle, so the, the goodbye in L.A. got a little ugly, mm-hmm. kind of as I feel it got in Phoenix, yeah. Houston. Uh, <laughs> you said later that you were thanking the Lakers for five championships because you won two with San Antonio. <laughs> uh, yeah. How was that whole thing? Have you, are you still on that page, or uh, was that just something said out of emotions? No, or? no, no. You know, the thing about me, people don't understand, is there's a lot of things that go on behind the doors, too. You know, and I felt the, the way I would, that situation was handled was not right. You know, fair is fair. You know, I, I, I spent seven years in the organization. I've helped you win championships. I've gone out and do sponsorships that the big dogs, I meaning Shaq and Kobe, wouldn't do. Do a lot of things for them. Not that they, you know, I don't mind doing, which I don't mind. And you, know, you go out and do these things, but then at the end of the day, when you know someone's not going to sign you back, let me find, let me go early enough to find a home. And I was really upset that they didn't give me enough time to go out and you know test the market for agency because they took so long in releasing me, which we all knew. Would you, have picked were, a, would you have picked another place? Would you have picked money at that time? You had five championships, or would you still have picked the <laughs> no, Spurs you know, and maybe a, a smaller paycheck? No, I, I actually wanted to go to the Spurs. You know, I, Lakers was first choice, and the Spurs was second choice, because even though uh, I wanted, I didn't care about the money. You know, I know that sounds crazy, but I did, but I didn't. But I just wanted to be happy, and I felt, and I wanted to win, more importantly. You know, you know, you have to respect guys who, you know, people don't realize. I turned down the following year after the Spurs. I turned down more money to leave the team to go to Dallas because they tried to bring me in because they felt I could be perfect for their situation. I turned that down. I said, I don't want to go because I was happy with the Spurs. And there's stories like that that players do all the time that don't get publicized. They might do now because, you know, basketball is publicized more because of Twitter and yeah. all these social media outlets. But, you know. You have to be happy. In here, at the end of the day, you got to be happy with yourself and happy with your teammates. I asked about the Lakers, how that was being a Laker. How was it being a Spur? I mean, we always talk about small market. We talk about Popovich mm-hmm. doing a lot of stuff. And I know they've even probably evolved since you since you left the team. But how was it going to San Antonio? Was it total difference? I mean, is it, uh, <laughs> is it team-oriented, uh, no egos, yeah. all that stuff that we kind of see when they're playing? Yeah. Or is it uh, like any other NBA team? You know, I think it was like any other NBA team in the sense that you want to win. You know, when you have a win in organization, you be one championship, everybody comes, you have that oneness. Everybody comes together. The thing I had to learn the most about the Spurs was, I told Michael Finley this when he got there, you have to dumb your game down. 
That means you have to run the plays exactly like they're on the playbook. Because if you don't, you mess up the whole system. Because, you know, I, Brent Barry and I, we, we used to laugh about it all the time. It's like when you try to play basketball with them, you can't because you're back door. And they'll look at you like, uh, why are you going back door? That's not Pop the play. Pop didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was, so, it was so regimented and so structured that it took you a while. It was so, we used to call it the robots. You had to be robotic. And the thing about it is you knew exactly where they were going to be at all times. But the problem is, could you stop them? Yeah. Mm. Now, later in your career, uh, you're still involved with the NBA. Yes. You told me earlier you wanted to be a teacher way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first thought is you're going to be an assistant coach. You're going to go back <laughs> on the bench. You want to teach. You, yeah. you got the experience. Is that what you want to do? Is that what lies ahead in the future if every, anything goes uh, you know, I would like I would like to do that in two years. I say two years because I have a 16-year-old who's a junior in high school who's been recruited by football to uh, colleges for football. And I want to be there for that. I, I already missed so much of my kid's life, and I want to be there for that and, you know, enjoy all those special moments with him. So as soon as that's up, uh, hopefully some NBA team will come calling or I'll come knocking down the door to try to be a coach. But, but I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy, you know, passing on that knowledge and helping, you know, helping uh, uh, basketball players. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize is that I used to help Dream a lot. I used to help Tim a lot. You know, I tried to help Shaq, but <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. You know, it's just you know, the thing is, it's a lot of knowledge up here. There's a lot of stuff that I've I've seen. It's a lot of things I've learned. You know, I don't mind passing along. You know, it's I have I, I have guys now that I still help. I, it's funny because it's just in me. I'd be in the gym now playing. I see some high school kid doing something wrong. I'd be like, Yo, let me help show you a little something, something, and you know, helping them out. It's just about passing along the knowledge. And you're passing along knowledge as well as an NBA ambassador. You're going out with the NBA 3X. You're going out to different places. What does that give you? Does that give you anything other than just staying in the loop? Or is it actually motivation going out and talking to kids? It's motivating. It, it gives me a lot of joy, you know, I, being around the NBA fan. I like to see different cultures, you know, enjoying basketball. I like to see different, you know, languages you know, talking to me, not understanding what the heck they're saying, but, you know, this, everybody know what this means, you know, and it's, 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 it's a great feeling. You know, the NBA has opened up so many doors. The, 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 the brand, the global brand of the NBA is so large. You know, to be here in Denmark, you never thought, Denmark? Why am I going to Denmark? You know, never, you know, I've traveled to India and, uh, um, you know, China, all these places, you know, just think about this, my first NBA game I ever played was in Japan. You know, my first NBA game. It's just, you know, the NBA has been so fantastic to me and it's just, you know, a way of giving back to them and just because they've given so much to me. And the NBA career is probably not over if we're going to see on the bench. This program <laughs> is not over, but we're getting there. Uh, seven championships. Yeah. Even though you didn't want to lose or hate losing, did you imagine that you could win seven rings and be the most winning NBA player outside of those Boston guys from the 60s? You know, I never thought about it. You know, I just know I like to win. And I never thought I would win a championship. You know, win a championship in your second year. You know, think about it. Sam Cassell, first two years in the NBA, two championships. You know what I mean? For me to um, win seven. And he didn't get one after, did he? No. No. Yeah, yeah he did with Boston. Boston, sorry. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, and to, you know, to win seven championships and to play with all the great people, to get to know all the people I've, I've come across. And it's, it's, it's just a wonderful feeling. I never thought I've been in the NBA 16 years, let alone win seven championships. Yeah, it's amazing. Congratulations on a fine career. We wish you the best of luck, and thanks yeah. for uh, taking the time to be Man. here.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.